goals, you know, change and move. And I find it to be kind of a silly exercise to sit there and go through your goals. I mean, you should have direction. Your company should certainly have objectives, but way more constructive to know your fears and being able to articulate them, I think is particularly helpful if you're stuck or if you're not quite ready to make the leap. And then surround yourself with people who inspire you. Inspiration can come from the funniest of places, but be not unkind to strangers, lest they be angels in disguise, because uh, sometimes they can also be angel investors. <laughs>
get the ground and the brand crafted. Um, and yes, to your point, um, the brothers have gone a long way. Uh, and it's amazing to see how the company has really transformed over the last eight years. Um, and I joined uh, very early on in 2016 and was there through about 2018. Uh, but, you know, I've always been applauding them from the trenches, I should say, uh, while building in the trenches and then now uh, from the sidelines uh, as, as I get to watch, you know, them coach and kind of continue to grow the brand. Do you still have a role with the company today or or no? No, I don't have any formal role with the company. You know, I, I have some skin in the game. And so far as, you know, I, I, I when I joined, um, you know, uh, options and equity compensation was uh, the more alluring reason to join because I they certainly couldn't compensate me or at least we didn't have the funds to pay, you know, our normal salary. So I'm happy to say I've, I've retained some some of my uh, ownership amongst uh, a bevy of investors and advisors and VCs. Um, and at this point, you know, I, I hope that's something that um, I, I hold on to for as long as I can and as long as it makes sense, because uh, I believe in the company, I believe in the brothers and where they're headed. Currently, you're the co-founder and CEO of Social Crucifixion. You're also a venture partner at um, uh, SSC Venture Partners, and you're also the founder of uh, Breadbasket Ventures. Um, can you talk a little bit about the essence of these three entities um, and maybe more pointedly, um, why do they exist today and what, what problems are you trying to solve? Precisely. Um, you know, I, I, I really have never really sat down and thought about the formation of, you know, those entities um, insofar as purpose they serve. It seems like, honestly, uh, I just fed my curiosities and hobbies and needed the proper legal entities and structures for it to make sense. Um, sure. So I guess in, in sequentially, we can start with, um, you know, Breadbasket Ventures uh, formed in around 2017. Uh, mm -hmm. At the time, I had noticed, you know, I had a knack for angel investing or meeting and talking to founders, but I didn't really want to start a VC fund. I also um, didn't feel like it was necessary. Uh, and initially, actually, my lens was from the perspective of a nonprofit. Um, I okay. just wanted to advise and help founders. Um, and occasionally, maybe, you know, if I wrote a check, it'd be as like an angel investor. Um, but I ended up meeting a professor in Boston, um, as well as a, a good, you know, friend and mentor uh, who kind of pushed me to say, you should focus on foreign direct investment into, you know, uh, Southern Africa, where I'm originally from, born in, born in mm -hmm. Zimbabwe. So um, it became a way to connect with founders and entrepreneurs in Southern Africa. And then around the same time, uh, I was asked to join uh, SSC Venture Partners, which is uh, a, a small VC firm um, that my, a bunch of my classmates from my alma mater run. And we're focused specifically on Boston-based uh, and Boston College-based um, entrepreneurs. And so mm -hmm. as a venture partner, you know, I'm not necessarily running through a bunch of term sheets and doing the typical VC work. I get to focus and talk to founders. Um, and for a long time, I, I thought both those roles between SSC and Breadbasket Ventures would satiate my own energies and desire to um, be in the ecosystem of entrepreneurs. Um, but sure. that was challenged uh, around 2020 um, when I met a second cousin of mine who was 
is a creative and, you know, I explained to him what I do and he said, well, why not invest in creatives? Um, and together we started um, Social Crucifixion or SEX uh, and we invest, advise and try to help um, creatives, which is a very broad category or broad you know, description. Um, but we try to help creatives as they navigate what we call the digital frontier. Um, okay. So, you know, as we explore things like NFTs, Web 3.0, crypto, AI, and then where and what role that plays uh, into, let's call it the creator economy. Um, mm -hmm. We try to be at the crux of that by helping um, independent creatives or folks that might have a story to tell uh, artistically uh, navigate. How do you leverage all these new tools? Um, which if I really think about, you know, all of these journeys and all of these roles that I hold, it really comes down to storytelling um, and finding sure. different ways to monetize people's stories. Um, sometimes it's through your art. Other times it's through the company you're building and um, it's one in the same. Uh, there's a joke I like to say that like uh, being a VC and being like an A&R uh, in music aren't, aren't that different. So um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of uh, how I spend my time in my days. I'd say 80% of my time is spent on social crucifixion. Uh, largely because okay. we're about to be a new company and we're still kind of navigating product market fit. Um, okay. But, you know, investing is like a, as a hobby for and almost like going to the gym for me. Um, so that's what SSC and Breadbasket Bread Ventures kind of allow me to do. If we were to pretend that these three different lanes that you're in are your children, which one would, you be, would be your favorite? <laughs> you know, I'm one of three. Uh, and I, I would say... All three children in my family um, are so different and so unique, but we all play a role in our parents' lives, an essential one. So picking a favorite is, is a little tough, but sure. there might be one who um, is the most demanding and that's probably my toddler, right? That's uh, a social crucifixion is, is, is relatively early. I mean, we, only just incorporated in October of 2022. So, um, you know, that that's definitely the, the child or the projects that um, demands the most attention it is also really the only one that I would say um, requires still some additional formulation in terms of um, truly finding product market fit. Um, SSC is, you know, it's, it's a venture fund. My commitment's relatively light as a venture partner. Um, mm -hmm. And then Breadbasket Ventures, because again, we, we just really, it's an entity facilitating foreign direct investment and investment. Um, our thesis is also pretty clear there, but both of those have been around long enough where I don't think they need me as a parent. Uh, they can hopefully thrive without me. Uh, whereas uh, social restriction at this point uh, requires a lot of handholding and training and feeding. And um, it's a great analogy. It's a great question. So um yeah, definitely, definitely that. Not my favorite, but the one that needs my, <laughs> the, the most attention. In thinking about the future, uh, what would you say is the single most important thing that's going to define what social crucifixion is going to look like? Whew, that's a good question. I would say the most important thing for social crucifixion is the our ability to be resilient um, mm -hmm. amongst the changes that are happening in both the creator ecosystem 
and generally in the digital landscape, right? Um, I would say even in the last three years of coming up with this idea, we've had to challenge our thesis a little bit uh, and kind of not necessarily pivot or shift gears, but um, accept that maybe our initial reason for being here in LA and Los Angeles and Hollywood um, might not be as relevant today as it was, you know, three years ago. Uh, and, you know, and to that point, when we first came here, it was kind of this hype of um, NFTs and Web 3.0. Um, and that has since died down a bit, but the problems that we were trying to solve haven't really changed. They've just required us to adapt our mindset a little bit um, to say, oh, this is still all very relevant, um, but maybe not as much hype. So um, I think that's any entrepreneurial journey. There's like periods of like that trough of disillusionment. Um, mm -hmm. And we just have to make sure we survive that because um, it's not only stuff on the professional front, but, um, you know, we're a small, nimble team and, you know, everyone's gone through, I can recount at least one personal obstacle um, in the last 12 months that, that has either made us question, are we doing the right thing or um, slowed down the vision that we have and the pace we want to kind of move. So resilience. Interesting. Okay. Um, and that, that particular obstacle that you just described, what are you folks currently doing to, I guess, um, to hurdle yourselves over that obstacle? Yeah. Um, you know, this, this journey is a lot like a, a race, right? Um, I would say, I'm sorry, one of the, the folks I listen to quite frequently is Naval Ravikant, um, co-founder of AngelList and very prolific angel investor in general, and talks about, you know, games, life as, you know, a, a series of, of games, finite and infinite games. And so, you know, if I consider this entrepreneurial journey or a race um, to that point, um, it's really more of a marathon than a, than a sprint. Um, mm -hmm. So recognizing that, you know, the key is to keep going. Uh, right. That, that's like the best advice I've received from advisors, investors is keep going. And so when faced with an obstacle, um, because, you know, in this season, we're not necessarily sprinting, um, mm -hmm. it's kind of slowing down and taking a look at, OK, what's the best way to go through this? Is it over and around it? Um, is this an obstacle that we can remove once uh, and we're not going to have these hurdles anymore? Or are we starting to thematically look at, you know, what are the, some of the reasons that we keep on getting slowed down or facing certain obstacles. And, you know, when you can catch your breath a little bit and kind of zoom out and say, oh, you know, every business has obstacles, they're going to change, sure. right? Um, then you also realize you don't have to sprint through the hurdles. You can kind of be strategic, you can slow down. Um, you just have to A, keep going um, and kind of hopefully have um, the wisdom and the insights and the self-awareness also to, to look at um, if, you know, you see repeated obstacles, um, there might be something wrong with either the business or the way you're looking at things. Um, mm -hmm. But one of my favorite books is by Ryan Holiday. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, and, you know, it kind of talks through how most obstacles within them, there are opportunities. Um, and, you know, it's the journey of figuring out uh, how to go get over those problems. Um, so that That's kind of fulfilling and rewarding. So I think the business will always have obstacles. Um, I, I don't know if there's one even I, I'm alluding to in, in the story that we've been on, 
but uh, everyone on the team has kind of faced something that's required um, pushing through, right? And um, that can be personal or professional. Um, yeah, so, you know, most obstacles I, I actually kind of welcome. Uh, and I just hope I'm in a state to receive them and to creatively think about getting through them. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and that's a nice segue into my next question, right? So when we think about entrepreneurs, you know, there's an element of agility that's that's required, right? The ability to pivot and and change course as as needed. Um, so within the context of the the various ventures that you're involved in, um, what would your personal definition of what an entrepreneur is look like? Yeah. Um... Well, since moving out here to Los Angeles, I, I find that every creative professional, every professional creative is an entrepreneur, right? So be it a musician, a writer, um, anyone who, you know, has, is trying to make a living based on a creative endeavor. Uh, mm -hmm. So basically any artist is an entrepreneur. Now, in today's context, when you think about, um, also you have athletes and all these folks with an audience, right? On like social media platforms. Uh, in many ways, everyone's somewhat of a content creator and also has an audience. And anytime you're required to make a living or you know monetize your audience, I think, and you have a direct connection with them, uh, artist, athlete, creative, uh, you are an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it means to me, it just means you're building something. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, um, I honestly don't love even introducing myself as an entrepreneur, uh, despite being someone who has started businesses and invest in businesses um, because I think, you know, being a problem solver um, and working in business requires entrepreneurial energy. Um, sure. And even if you don't own your own business, um, you can still be an entrepreneur if you're, you know, going out and solving issues. Um, we've also kind of, I think, fetishized entrepreneurship in a, in a bit where uh, people think, you know, that the, the entrepreneurial lifestyle is so glamorous and, you know, you get to work with VCs and control your own schedule. And, um, you know, most days aren't that glamorous. And there are many entrepreneurs who uh, run amazing, fantastic small businesses um, that you may have never heard of. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they need to be celebrated as much as, you know, the Elons and uh, more prolific um, builders of our time um, because I, I think also it takes a lot of courage um, to to go down the journey of being a business owner in any capacity. Uh, there's a little bit of risk involved. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I have a more broad definition than most. Um, and in the category that I occupy, I actually think artists and creatives are my favorite type of entrepreneurs to work with um, because they don't get the traditional entrepreneurial treatment. Um, they, they, you know, people just kind of treat them as if, oh yeah, you do art or you're a musician. They put these boxes <laughs> and label them, uh, in ways that I think are actually, um, toxic to their creative ability. Right. Um, one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time is, you know, uh, probably someone like Kanye West, you know, despite being so problematic, um, <laughs> you look at, you know, or Jay-Z, right? Like you can name, uh, plenty of folks that are creatives that, um, I think at one day they were producers or just rappers or just hip hop artists. And uh, sure enough, now, uh, you know, I, I think we can all say and respect um, someone like Jay-Z as, as just an amazing entrepreneur. Sure, sure. That's awesome. So 
you know, in you mentioned that, you know, you don't particularly like introducing yourself as an entrepreneur. What are some of the things that you do enjoy about being an entrepreneur? Oh, yeah, I um, I love to learn. You know, I'm insatiably curious. And I think the only way you can be successful um, in this industry is by constantly absorbing information, being able to process that information and, and, and understand it. And then mm -hmm. once you have an understanding it, you apply it. And ideally you apply it to your business and to the businesses of your partners and people you work with, which is a form of wisdom to me, right? So it's um, really about how much information, relevant information am I absorbing? Um, am I able to truly understand it and grasp it? And then mm -hmm. am I able to apply it, right? Um, that That's really the uh, driving probably force behind a lot of what I do is application of whether it's stories, business models, or new technologies to existing problems and industries. Um, so uh, I've always felt that, you know, that's the same role that I, I've occupied in almost every one of my like long list of jobs uh, is discernment of traditionally dense information and then applying it. Um, but definitely the learning aspects of entrepreneurship. Um, that's by far my favorite. Interesting. Okay. So um, you clearly have a lot on your plate business wise, and we all have 24 hours a day uh, that we can choose to spend. However, we, we need to spend that time. Um, how have you gone about putting together a team that not only has bought into your vision, um, but also that you trust enough to actually delegate various responsibilities to? Yeah, um, the the idea that, you know, I, and I rarely introduce myself or I ever say that I'm busy, right? Uh, because if I'm busy, that's just either poor time management on my part, or I need to reprioritize things happening in my life so that everything gets its adequate attention. Um, mm -hmm. No one has forced me to do any of the three, you know, professional responsibilities that I hold. Um, they are all choices I've made at this juncture in my career because, um, you know, I, I don't have an extensive family. Um, it's really just uh, in addition to my business partners, my, my, my life partner and I on this journey. And then my family kind of expects this for me in terms of like my mom, my dad and my, my siblings. So mm -hmm. I find that I actually have a lot more time than most people. I, I can't imagine what this is going to be like. Um, eventually with, you know, hopefully if I'm blessed and lucky enough with, with kids. And um, I feel like uh, to your earlier question and point, uh, once I have, you know, children, I will have way less time. Um, sure. And so I, I, I structure my days and my life um, optimized for my energy levels. Right. And so I know that between um, around 10 PM and 2:30 AM, I am undistracted, pretty creative, mm -hmm. and have enough energy. Uh, so okay. I do a lot of work then. And then during the day, I'm kind of on the what's called the manager schedule. There's a great essay by Paul Graham, the managers versus micro maker schedule. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm on a manager schedule during the day. And what that means, I just surround myself with hey, people that um, match my energy and also are punctual and also have a skill set or a level of mastery around something that I don't. So everyone we work with, I think, has could, could be their own. And that's truly my hope. It could be their own and CEO or co-founder in some capacity because they have such domain expertise in something that I lack. Um, so for me, it's 
uh, really around making sure we have aligned vision and making sure our mission uh, is big enough that when you're in the trenches, um, everyone still wants to be building. Um, so it's a little bit of push and pull. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the time I have to do very little to um, push the team. Everyone's pretty self-motivated and very responsible and cares for artists and creatives insofar as the social crucifixion team. Um, and then the poll is kind of reminding the team why we do this. And a lot of that is sharing some of the wins and the stories for like how we're able to support a creative um, and being very just honest and real with anecdotal stories um, for times where we've helped. So um, I'm, I'm still learning, you know, I, I don't think I'm the best manager of people. Um, but I operate with a lot of energy and, um, I try to move with a lot of integrity as well, um, uh, because the people that are building this team and this company need to have, you know, uh, I think ambition, integrity, uh, and, and, and energy, uh, to, to be able to spread that to, um, anyone we work with. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds like, um, it sounds like you have, a lot of processes and maybe systems in place to help prevent burnout. Um, Cause you, you know, you think about just all the things that we're contending with our businesses, you know, family commitments um, and mental health becomes a huge thing, right? Like how do you, how do you prevent yourself from burning out and all these types of types of things? Um, my next question is what's your favorite productivity hack? Oh man, sleep. <laughs> Sure. Uh, you know, sleep or listening to podcasts at like two X. Uh, that, that's you know, I need seven on average around seven hours of sleep to be okay. the most productive for myself, right? Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say my productivity hacks are actually around health hacks. So um, to 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 that point, there's uh, I do this system called Dose. I forgot, and someone forgive me on the internet who I'm stealing this from. But D-O-S-E, um, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, right? Mm -hmm. I try to make sure all four of those hormones are like in check, um, like on a honestly daily basis. So uh, I do things like I eat a square of dark chocolate if I feel or even think my dopamine levels are low. Oxytocin, it's about how many hugs am I getting? So I can't be behind my desk all day. Um, I need to actually be out and be around people. So I try to make sure I get at least five hugs a day to keep my oxytocin levels. Serotonin, that's a function of like sleep and sunlight. Um, you can listen to Andrew Huberman, uh, like the guru on all things neuroscience uh, on kind of like all of this. And then our mm -hmm. endorphins is just making sure I, I work out, right? So um, I find that if those four like hormones are in check or I'm doing activities that align um, my work is a lot better. Um, I, I can enter conversations with energy. Um, and, you know, it's funny, you would think as someone who um, worked, you know, for and with a coffee company that like I need coffee. Uh, but typically, I actually find I'm in a bad mental state or not rested. Um, if I'm finding myself like needing caffeine to get through through the day, I, mm. I, I need to be well rested, have sleep and make sure those four, you know, um, hormones are checked off. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, health is wealth, you know, if, if you don't have Absolutely. that, um, it, everything else becomes like not worth it. And so, um, I was obsessed for a while with, you know, the, the whole four hour work week, hustle culture, work, work, work ethos, but 
that's not sustainable. Um, you know, I, I would say burnout is dangerous. And so I just make sure my, my health is in a great state and place. Uh, and then I'm able to be way more efficient and productive otherwise. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. So uh, a Roman philosopher named Seneca once said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Um, what would you attribute your success to date? Um, what would you attribute that? Would it be more serendipitous or is it um, more hard work that got you to where you are today? Um, you know, serendipity plays a role in all our lives, uh, a massive role. Um, and I don't know, I could say mine more than others, although one could argue I've been like lucky and very fortunate a whole lot. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as I went to like my, my little local bodega and gas station here, you know, I see these people who play the lotto and mm -hmm. I am like, I don't think I could ever in good conscience play the lotto knowing and, and feeling that I won the genetic lottery, you know, I'm healthy, I'm happy. Um, I, I can have a pretty decent memory. Uh, I, 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 I feel like that was, you know, the luckiest thing that I have is my health, which allows me to then make, have so many pursuits. Um, I would also say my parents, right. I, I was lucky to be born into, um, a, a family with two loving parents who, um, not only care and support, although they often question, uh, my professional decisions and choices, mm -hmm. but, um, I was fortunate enough to have two loving parents and that extended family, you know, their parents and their brothers and sisters. Um, so, uh, I would say I've been quite lucky and quite fortunate, uh, you know, in, in ways that many folks uh, don't have the same advantages and privileges. Um, sure. That said, uh, I am also a firm believer in hard work. Uh, I, 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 you know, I don't even count, you know, but t a typical day to me, if I were to say like hours wise is anywhere between 11 and 13 hours, like six okay. days a week, um, even on my days off, I'm still probably reading a book or downloading some sort of information. Um, you know, I, I tend to also be obsessed with, you know, the things I'm building and the ecosystems I'm in. So, um, you know, I, I also can't say that hard work and just luck will, will even get you there. But, you know, that Seneca quote is very fitting. Um, I'm a big fan of Seneca and all of the Stoics. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to make sure, you know, the, the harder I work, I'm pretty sure it's the luckier I get. So I try to make sure Absolutely. I'm allowing all the opportunities in the universe to actually actualize by giving the universe the type of energy so that I can receive the serendipitous lucky moments um, with grace and gratitude. With all of that in mind, like how would you, how do you currently measure success, right? So you think about all the hard work that you're putting in. Um, you know, the long hours, you know, working with different people, working on different businesses, what does success look like to you? Do you have any metrics in place that measure or define what success looks like? Yeah, I, um, have a pretty different take on this. Um, I feel like I've, I've, I've referenced and are going to, I'm going to continue to reference so many other podcasts and books that, uh, I listen to, but I don't necessarily goal set. I fear set. So mm. I keep a list of fears uh, actually written down in my wallet and um, I look at them uh, weekly <laughs> and then my goal, and I set them, I would say during like 12 to 18 periods of months, right? Like, so mm -hmm. uh, I pick a theme, I write it down on an index card 
And then on that index card, I also write down what my, my top, let's call it four fears are. And mm -hmm. success to me is crossing out those fears, right? That's one awesome. by one by one. And then being able to look back and say, okay, what's the new theme I'm working on? Um, mm -hmm. And so in terms of success is ideally living with as few fears as possible uh, in an authentic manner. And in terms of success for the business and my business ventures, you know, I look around at the people I work with and try to wonder and ask myself, did I do what I said I was going to do? And am I moving with energy, right? Um, that is so important for me is, am I doing things with energy and authenticity? Um, because if I can't do it with energy, they're just not, that alignment really bugs me, right? Uh, I, you know, prior to my entrepreneurial journey, I worked at Apple and Microsoft and another company called Gartner. And mm -hmm. I, I honestly thought those jobs were so great, but I would not get burnout, but just get disillusioned with going to work. Um, and that just, I haven't felt that in so long, the idea of not going to work with tremendous energy, um, mm -hmm. that whether we call it authenticity or, you know, purpose and alignment, uh, I try to hold myself true to that feeling um, with, you know, with, with the highest form of accountability. Um, so success to me is, is that, honestly, it's um, moving authentically with energy and doing stuff that um, I know uh, either is helping me cross out my fears or is on the other side of fear, right? Because um, I firmly believe everything we want is on the other side of fear. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. to be a, a, in tune with yourself, to know that um, the obstacles or the hurdles, uh, a lot of them are just narratives and stories we tell ourselves in our own head. Um, mm. So I write them down to make sure I'm aware and um, I'm working to cross them out. Are you able to share maybe one of those fears that's on your list that you've either crossed out or that you're looking to cross out? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I've, got, I've got it right here. Um, so let's see, one of the fears that I did cross out uh, was heartbreak, right? That's a, that's a mm. personal fear, right? Sure. Uh, I, I, I'm in a, you know, amazing relationship um, and it's probably the first time in a very long time I've actually allowed myself to um, fully enter um, a partnership with, with someone and open myself up to heartbreak, right? And I remember mm. I recently crossed it out because I said, oh, it's gonna, it's worth it, right? If, I'm, the, the fear is not that I might not get my heart broken because, you know, I, there's no rig on it yet. So who knows? And, um, but it's worth it, right? Like it, it's definitely a, a monumental step for me personally to acknowledge that um, this person in heartbreak might be worth it. Um, so another fear that's on there, funny enough, is, um, cognitive decline, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm 31, uh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be experiencing any sort of cognitive decline, but I think my recent obsession with neuroscience and trying to make sure that my mind operates at the highest level comes out of that fear that, you know, I might miss a beat or slow down or um, might not be able to retain or learn information with the same tenacity that, um, I've been able to in my twenties. Um, so I've recently just been way more cognizant uh, of the things that could either lead to cognitive decline 
in the short term or the long term. Um, mm -hmm. And so making sure that, again, my health um, stays to a point where uh, I remember things and I can operate fully, um, you know, that that's something haven't crossed out that fear yet, but working on it. <laughs> what are some of the things that you're doing to work on that? Does that maybe involve things like just constantly reading and, and keeping your mind active? What are some specifics of things that you um, that you're currently doing to, to stay sharp mentally? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Apart from like the physical, you know, sleep, water workout, uh, I, I won't call these productivity hacks, but these are maybe my hacks for staying abreast information. Um, mm -hmm. I love newsletters, right? So newsletters, well-written newsletters. I have like my morning routine where I try to can download my newsletters and um, they're like reading the newspaper for me, right? It's um, on very specific markets. I read up on things happening in crypto, things happening on a global macroeconomic lens, uh, and then things happening in the, in the creator economy. Um, I also kind of have curated lists on Twitter from what I consider to be like really intelligent people uh, mm -hmm. and, or at least really informed people, I should say, we're all intelligent, um, but really informed people um, and look at that and kind of go through that whole process. And then this kind of started in the pandemic. I also read and listen to quite a few podcasts. Uh, but one thing I started during the pandemic was when I learn a piece of information, making sure I can reiterate it. And the mm -hmm. best format for that started, you know, Clubhouse, which was like an audio platform, but then Twitter Spaces. So I do spend a fair amount of time on Twitter Spaces, usually um, trying to condense something I learned that day. So I use it as like a fail-safe free environment to get comfortable talking to strangers and people in a room. And so after like my newsletters or after a podcast, I'll look to see if I can join a Twitter space and kind of share and apply something that I've learned uh, to that space like that day. Um, and so I think teaching, uh, also allows like you to get a sense of mastery. So I try mm -hmm. to teach back to someone, um, you know, whether digitally or even in real life, uh, whenever I condense a new piece of information. You know, we've talked about hard work. We've talked about fears, um, uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs, at least budding entrepreneurs, we find that fear is one of the fear of failure rather is one of the biggest impediments to people actually getting started with, with their entrepreneurial um, journeys. Um, to date, what would you say has been your biggest failure? And, you know, how did you arise? How did you rise above that? When I left Super Coffee, you know, I, I don't think I was in the best state mentally. And I think a lot of my relationships suffered as a result, right? Um, I was insecure. I wasn't really sure what was next. You know, at the time the company was doing okay, but there was no certainly guarantee of success. And in my head, I thought maybe I wasted a year and a half of my life and I shouldn't have quit my job. And, you know, I, I was just in a place of um, insecurity. And I think that had a tremendous impact on a few professional relationships, but also even some personal ones. Um, mm -hmm. And I think my inability to separate my identity as a human being from my work and entrepreneurial endeavors uh, was a major failure for my 20s, um, you know, and that's something I still work on. Um, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to um, not only the people around me in terms of my personal life, but uh, seeking some professional help uh, from a therapist who helped me really 
um, separate again my my professional identity from who I am personally. Because um, in the end, you know, um, I think we we're, we're just people, uh, and I, I would always hope that who we are as people outshines whatever mark we think we're leaving on the world professionally. Um, <laughs> and on my tombstone, uh, I don't know that they'll ever say like, oh yeah, he was a great, you know, <laughs> business person or he uh, did great job marketing and growth hacking or raising funds or he was an amazing investor. Um, I'll be so much happier uh, to read that it says, he had great energy and he was curious and um, man, he was always smiling, right? Um, and so I think I, I certainly failed in keeping that perspective um, during my time at, my, at least the tail end of my tenure at Super Coffee. I, think I mm-hmm. lost some of my, my energy perspective, but um, at the same time, I know what, what is failure really that that lesson uh, and that experience has allowed me to, to be here. Right. Uh, I don't think I would be in this position um, had I not gone through and been in the trenches then. So um, a great, great question. But I don't, I don't know that, you know, fa- failure would be more so if I find myself in a similar position, uh, unhappy or not able to smile and, and move myself with energy uh, because of something happening at work. Right. It's just work. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're like, I always say I had a manager who said this uh, when I still worked at corporate job. He's like, Hey, like we're not doctors here. We're not saving lives. Like (laughs) we we work in business. Uh, It's not that serious. And I've always kept that in mind because we would, I would get so stressful at the end of a quarter, right? Like, oh, we need to forecast and this, this, and this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no one's going to die because of my inability to hit my numbers or make this forecast. Um, So again, uh, it's not, that, 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 well, the Stoics, which you seem to have at least come across Seneca at some point, but um, mm-hmm. they have a phrase around mortality, right? Momentum mori, remember you will die. So um, I, I like to always keep myself grounded in um, the reality that um, this adventure, this ability to do what um, we do is, is a blessing and a gift uh, one that doesn't have uh, as much uh, as or as negative implications if we're quote unquote unsuccessful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't think any artist or creative we work with would be too happy if we uh, screw up one of their releases. So, uh, sure, it's it, it's it's all a matter of perspective. But yeah, uh, great great question. Thank you, thank you for asking. Yeah, um, and in in just thinking about you know just maintaining our happiness and uh, thinking about how we've overcome challenges and, you know, dealt with different failures today. uh, What's the one thing that you're working on that you're most excited about? If you're able to share that. You know, we've got such a amazing team uh, that's fueling what we're doing at social crucifixion. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would say I'm most excited for some of the team members to actually get to shine their craft as professionals. Um, and for the last six to 12 months, it's been a lot of kind of trying to figure out whose role is what and what can we do. But um, with me at the helm often of the relationships, uh, but you know, I 
one of our team members spent the day yesterday with a creative in our ecosystem. Um, and I wasn't there. I didn't feel the need to be there. Uh, and I got such amazing feedback about um, her support on site and just how creative she is and how she understands things. And I'm just like, this was always the vision to give people, you know, an opportunity to tell other people's stories um, in a way that makes sense to their personal craft and in a way where we can all gain commercially from it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Art isn't free. <laughs> you know, it, art is for everybody, but uh, to quote actually an exhibit happening at um, one of the museums out here in LA by this artist, one of my favorite artists, Keith Herring, is art is for everybody, but art isn't free. Um, we have kind of lost that as consumers. Um, you know, I think we take music, for example, for free. Mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily appreciate fashion in its full artistic expression un unless it's like, you know, high-end fashion or luxury fashion. But I don't think that has to be the case. Um, and everything our team is working on and working towards is um, allowing artists and creatives to, when we say own their narrative, also, mm -hmm. you know, have more ownership of their art, audience, data, uh, and pathways for monetization. Um, and we're just getting started in terms of who we're working with and how we want to do that. Uh, but that's what I'm most excited because most of the best ideas on how to do that aren't even going to come from me. They're going to come from the amazing squad and team that um, we, we've been recruiting and building out here. You know, I read an article the other day and it was highlighting, you know, some of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs face um, with their startups. And number six on that list was securing funding. So, mm. you know, just given your background as a venture capitalist, you know, what are what how would you describe the venture capital ecosystem? So, for example, who is it for and generally how does it work? Yeah, uh, often, you know, I, I introduce myself as an adventure capitalist, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. I, I am not a pure play VC because um, it's a part-time role for me, uh, right? It's, it's a part-time role for me. There's an, actually an ongoing joke right now. One of the best performing funds is Founders Fund, and most of the general partners are all part-time VCs. Um, okay. That's not to say that there aren't and there isn't a need for full-time venture capitalists, but um, venture is really designed and optimized for high growth companies, right? High growth and startup aren't one the same. Um, oftentimes mm -hmm. they're conflated to, to, to being one thing, but uh, if you have a high growth company uh, that's in a very specific category and you have a path towards you know, exit in mind, venture capital might make sense for you. Otherwise, a lot mm -hmm. of businesses, A, don't need VC money and also shouldn't seek it because it might, um, taint their business, right? Um, very few people talk about uh, the incentives that VCs have because for the most part, we're not investing our money as VCs. We are investing money that comes from a group of limited partners or LPs who have mm -hmm. certain expectations and a certain time horizon that they need their funds returned. And so, you know, it's often not understood by the entrepreneur that it's not like the VC is putting their own personal capital, but they have incentives and other responsibilities to a group of um, investors that they're beholden to. And as a result of that, they might advise you and your company to do certain things that might not make sense to you as a founder. It might not make sense to your business, but will make sense to 
their key stakeholder, which is their limited partners. So um, I think, you know, if I could say one thing about the venture ecosystem in terms of the last five to 10 years, it's been broken. Uh, it's been broken. And that's coming from someone who's got skin in the game as I'm both an LP, limited partner in, in the fund I'm a part of at SSC, uh, and a venture partner. Um, but also, you know, we're a small fund. We're not one of these mega funds that raised billions and billions of dollars. But in a past life, I advised a few of these funds, right? In, insofar as uh, how they should be thinking about technology. And um, I'll say that, you know, the exuberant times of the 2000s or the 2020s uh, or late teens into the early 2020s, I think they're behind us. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of VCs are going to struggle. And we're seeing it also in the correction and valuations. We're seeing it in entrepreneurs having to redo their business models and business plans to just stay operational versus that whole high growth era. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think it, it, we're, we're coming to a, a much needed correction in venture and the VC ecosystem. Um, and I'm actually excited for the types of businesses we're going to see in this post correction, because I think they'll just be, um, you know, more resilient businesses. Um, they'll be built on stronger foundations and ideally, you know, they won't all be venture fueled or venture backed because, um, I think that was, you know, venture was a little bit of a toxic asset class for the last two, three years. So, um, this correction and the times ahead, um, for entrepreneurs build good businesses that where someone wants your product, right? Like it start there, not how much money you raised or how much you need to raise or are going to raise, um, you know, build something people love and people want, even if it's just 10 people. That is amazing in and of itself. And I guarantee any entrepreneur out there, if you focus on that, you'll find venture coming to you. Uh, I still remember seeing, you know, uh, our first sort of inbound from a pretty reputable VC firm. And I was like, w I don't even know what this conversation is going to lead to. Uh, that's where social security fiction, because I was like, we don't have any customers. I was like, I, I was like, thank you. Thank you for reaching out. I'm glad we're on your radar. But I was like, we have no customers and we had barely built the product at that time. But a mm -hmm. VC reached out trying to meet. And I was like, and this was probably at the height of, this was 2021, 2022. Uh, I think all I had done was updated my LinkedIn that I was working on this. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, but you know, if you want to raise money, ask for advice. If you want to you know, get advice, try to raise money. Uh, that's the mindset we've, approach this with. Um, and we're still kind of bootstrapped. Um, just a small round of friends and family um, has, has fueled what we're doing thus far. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I always hope and my mission is that the number of customers we have is bigger than the number of people on our cap table. Uh, you know, I think that's like absolutely essential. So that's the battle that I'm, I'm, I'm in right now is making sure we have more customers than names on our cap table. So in what you've just described, it almost sounds like some of the core tenets that you use to guide you in terms of how you mentor and advise, you know, founders and startups. Are there any other quick um, core principles or guiding values? Um, let's call them core tenets that uh, that you employ uh, when you work with some of these startups and founders. Yeah, so I think um, founder market fit is essential. So I try to understand mm -hmm. why uh, entrepreneur is doing something. And you know, if there's no founder market fit, I think that business is going to struggle. I, I rarely uh, encourage or support solopreneurs, 
meaning, you know, making sure that you have co-founders or at least a core team uh, around mm -hmm. you um, to help sort of build the business and mitigate the risk of anything happening to you. Um, what other sort of essential things would I say to a founder uh, around fundraising? I basically just shared my, my, my thoughts there is, you know, don't sure. over index and over emphasize how much you think capital is going to help or solve an issue. Um, investor updates, even before you have investors, right? I, I think, you know, before asking anyone for money, they need about three months of monthly investor updates. Those investor mm -hmm. updates should just be um, really self-aware analytical breakdowns of the business. Uh, and so coaching entrepreneurs to get into the habit of a monthly investor update, even before it's required or they have investors, I think is key um, because it's an exercise in mental clarity uh, when you can break down the business, right? Because um, good writing is just good thinking. So um, you, you want to be able to read through an entrepreneur's thinking uh, on paper before you send over a check or get into a conversation around wiring you know, funds. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. All right, great, Quids. Um, as, we get to, as we get close to wrapping up here, just wanted to see if you have any general advice that you can share with, with anyone looking to dip their proverbial toe, if you will, into the entrepreneurship waters. Like what sort of general advice could you just offer someone who's maybe on the fence about starting their own business, but perhaps is held back by, you know, a fear, lack of knowledge, um, and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, those three things you just, you just said, I think are, I, I can sum up into, you know, into quotes that I abide by the first being feed your curiosities. Right. That's that's, I think, the most important thing. If um, if you're not curious about it, you're, you're never going to be great at it. Um, I think that's a Naval quote. Um, so feed your curiosities uh, because there and only there will you get the energy and the insights for you to be able to build something uh, for someone who needs it. Um, the second thing would be I, I fundamentally believe there's no perfect time. There's no great time. Um, you know, everything you want is going to be on the other side of fear. So get started, right? So know your fears. I think that's just as important as, as goal setting, uh, if that's helpful for you. But goals, you know, change and move. And I, I find it to be kind of a silly exercise to sit there and go through your goals. I mean, you should have direction. Your company should certainly have objectives. But uh, it's way more constructive to know your fears and being able to articulate them, I think, is uh, particularly helpful uh, if you're stuck. Uh, or if you're not quite ready to make the leap, um, then surround yourself with people who inspire you, um, you know, and inspiration can come from the funniest of places, but um, be not unkind to strangers, lest they be mm -hmm. angels in disguise, because uh, sometimes they can also be angel investors. So um, yeah, uh, the, the, that, that'd be my feedback for anyone who's looking to dive in uh, into this wonderful world. Um, and they should also know that it's not always, you know, this black and white, you have to quit your job or give it all up. It's like, hey, maybe just start by uh, moonlighting or doing running the Instagram page for three brothers and uh, their coffee company. And who knows, a few years later, that might be uh, a $700 million company or whatever the valuation is today. Uh, but um, yeah, that, that all stemmed from feeding my curiosities in A, you know, photography, be what these three brothers were up to and um, mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, that, that was the catalyst and uh, reason for so much of what uh, we're building today. Um, and so, yeah, to, to maybe round things out uh, on, on the, you know, how we started the conversation with 2015 and the mm-hmm. DeSico brothers um, being out here, I, I owe them all so much of a thank you and uh, their extended family for uh, looping me into what they were building because um, as three brothers is a family business, um, it took a lot of courage and risk and, um, you know, uh, kindness to accept a stranger into into their business and into their family. And um, they were nothing but the best uh, in that process. Kuds, thank you so much. This has been such a, a great, insightful conversation for me um, and hopefully for our listeners as well. Um, if anybody wants to see what you're up to, like where can they go find you and see what you're doing, what you're up to? Yeah, I um I so because I run a company called Social Crucifixion, I'd like to end these dialogues uh, or meetings by saying don't follow me on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, or any of these platforms, because as we're seeing, they can change overnight, right? Rest in peace, Twitter, it's now just X. Um, but I am active on Twitter as at at Kids Taziva. Uh, I, I, I gotta be true to our business. Uh, if you want to know more about what I'm up to, what we're up to Taziva.xyz is where you can find me. That's my website. I'm trying to make sure that that becomes more of uh, the central platform where I upload writings, thoughts, videos, podcasts. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm active on social, but Taziva.xyz, um, you know, owning my domain as an aspiring creative and my digital real estate. Uh, is just me practicing what I preach to the amazing storytellers and creatives that um, uh, I'm fortunate to work with day to day out here in LA. Thanks again for your time, Kudzi. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.